Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improved jawline definition for a smooth sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. This podcast contains violence, adult themes, and material that may not be suitable for all listeners. Listener discretion is strongly advised. True North True Crime is produced on the traditional territories of the Coast Salish people. She was this fun-loving, free-spirited girl who would help anybody in anything. And it is just, she deserves, as you said, justice for Meg. She deserves some justice as to what happened. Refuse to be forgotten, reads the tattoo along Jennifer's shoulder. The tattoo is placed in loving memory of her daughter, who had the same tattoo. In the early morning hours of July 4th, 2014, Jennifer suffered an unimaginable loss. Her 20-year-old daughter was found unresponsive on the ground in front of a Toronto high-rise. It appeared as though she had fallen 11 stories from an apartment balcony. But there is more to this story than what was reported in the media. The official investigation ruled that her death was suspicious and could not rule out foul play but charges have never been filed. Almost eight years later, this case has gone cold. Tonight, we present the suspicious death of Megan Hester, and this is True North True Crime. Hello everyone and welcome to True North True Crime. Thanks for joining us. 
Before we get started, we want to say thank you to Morgan Lytle for including us in a recent Reader's Digest list of Canadian true crime podcasts worth adding to your playlist. Also, a huge thank you to reporter Jennifer Thuncher at the Squamish Chief and Glacier Media newspaper for her recent interview and article about True North True Crime. Thank you both for supporting independent media and bringing attention to the cases that we cover. As usual, we want to say a big thank you to some folks who brought the coffee this week. So a big thank you to Jenny, Mandy, Cheryl, Shelley, Jane, and Kathleen. If you would like to donate a coffee for an upcoming episode, you can do so at buymeacoffee.com slash tntcpod. We also have merchandise for sale at our Tea Public store, and we will have that link in our show notes. If you haven't already, make sure to hit the subscribe or follow button on whichever podcast platform you're listening to this episode on. If you are new to True North True Crime, we are an independent Canadian podcast bringing attention to cases of missing people and victims of violent crime. We are a two-person team producing these episodes from start to finish, and we seek to raise awareness for these stories. We appreciate all of your episode suggestions, and we want to let you know that we do prioritize cases that come to us from family members or close contacts. So if your family member, friend, or loved one is struggling to get attention for a missing or murdered person, please reach out to us. There are many ways that you can participate if you don't want to be on mic or even if you want to be off the record. Feel free to reach out at truenorthtruecrime at gmail.com. Okay, let's get into tonight's episode. Tonight we are talking about the suspicious death of 20-year-old Megan Hester. This case was suggested to us by one of our listeners who is a friend of the family. This listener was hoping we could raise some awareness to Megan's case. Megan died suddenly in the city of Toronto on July 4th, 2014. Megan's family has struggled to find answers or justice for the last eight years. What struck us most about Megan's case was the lack of new media or new articles about it. When we did our preliminary searches, only a handful of articles came up. We are hoping that with this episode, that more people will know her name. So we put this episode together using publicly available news articles. We also interviewed Megan's mother, Jennifer, who was able to help us with a lot more detail. Megan Hester grew up in Midland, Ontario, and also in the Ottawa area. Megan's birth parents did not remain together, so she was co-parented by her mom and dad. Megan was the oldest child and has two brothers and twin sisters. Jennifer, Megan's mother, took some time to tell us about Megan. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Meg was... Her dad and I had joint custody of her. Um, We we split at a very early age. So she was kind of... She bounced between her father and I for a few years. Um, She was very independent probably from the first week she was born (laughs) very independent um very happy-go-lucky very um free-spirited I guess is the word um she grew up in in divided between Midland and um just outside the Ottawa area that's where I lived for many years um what else can I tell you? She she had no idea what she wanted to be. 
when she grew up because <laughs> it would change probably from year to year, age to age, or from whatever her friends wanted to do. No sport. She was as coordinated as a baby cow. Um, she was more interested in music, arts, and drama. She loved drama. So Megan was the free spirit of the family with an interest in the arts and a desire for adventure. Megan also fiercely loved her friends and family, and those feelings were reciprocated. Her friends meant the world to her. Her family meant the world to her. And she was just one of those people where if you were having a super rough day, she would cheer you up regardless of how her day looked that day. And her her best friends were her best friends. She didn't, she had a lot of friends, but she was close. Like she, she formed very strong friendships with people. Um, she had gone out to BC, actually, to work for probably about six months. It wasn't for her. Came back, so that's when she was 20, and then that's when she started working in Toronto. So in late 2013, Megan took an opportunity to go out west and experience life in British Columbia. But according to Jennifer, the West Coast life didn't quite work out. But Megan did her best to make the most of the move. She had actually um, applied for a nanny job online, got out there. The nanny job wasn't for her. And so she found a roommate and she started working um, at the bars. In February of 2014, after working as a nanny and then taking on bar jobs in B.C., Megan decided it was time to move back to Ontario. But she didn't go back to Midland. She set her sights on the big city of Toronto, Canada's largest city with a population of over 6 million people. She went right from BC to Toronto and stayed with her cousin. She didn't have a plan. (laughs) That was the thing about her. She never had a plan. Um, But she did end up working for CAMH in Toronto. So she was in the office and working as a canvasser. And I feel she always wanted to get out of Midland because Midland is just a small town and she was bigger than a small town. So I she liked the Toronto life. She liked just, I think, just the freedom. You could just do and go and be and nobody really knew you type thing. She, she was tired of the small town drama, obviously, that she grew up with, so... In the spring of 2014, Megan moved in with her cousin in Toronto and was doing a little bit of couch surfing. She had secured a job with an organization that specialized in mental health and addiction treatment. She worked both in their office and also as a street canvasser. By all indications, Megan was doing well. She was 20, she was in the big city, she was making friends, she had a job, and she was working on getting more secure housing. Megan was also seeing someone romantically who lived in the Oshawa area at the time. While in Toronto, Megan did party a little bit. She would drink with co-workers at the local bars. According to Jennifer, Megan did not have any issues with drugs, and she did not have any history of any mental health diagnosis or symptoms of ongoing mental health issues. On June 26, 2014, Megan traveled from Toronto to Midland, Ontario. Both of her brothers were graduating high school, So she made her way back home to Midland to celebrate with family and friends. She came home, um, so I'm sorry, I don't recall what day July 4th was that year. I really don't. But she had come home the weekend prior because, so I have a son who is her half-brother, and then her father has a son who is her half-brother, and they were both graduating that weekend from the same high school. 
So she had come home to Midland for that. And um, she, she would spend going up to her best friend Taylor's, up to Lake Joe for Taylor's birthday party. And then she was had headed back to Toronto, and that was the long weekend. She had headed back to Toronto just to go back to work. And I talked to her on, I think it was July second she asked for all the pictures of all the grad pictures and all that good stuff I sent them to her and that was the last time I talked to her so after spending time in the Midland area seeing friends and family Megan returned to Toronto on Tuesday July 1st which as most of you know is Canada Day this trip would be the last time that Megan's family friends and community would see her alive Jennifer heard from Megan on July 2nd when Megan reached out looking for the photos from her trip to Midland. This would be the last time that Jennifer would hear from her daughter. Near the end of June 2014, Megan had moved out of her cousin's home in Toronto. She was staying on the couch of a co-worker at his apartment. Apparently, this is because the co-worker's apartment was closer to work. For the rest of this episode, we will be referring to the man she was staying with as the roommate. According to most reports, Megan had only known the roommate for a couple of weeks. In this apartment lived two men, and Megan was crashing on the couch. There may have been another woman staying there from time to time, but this was hard to confirm. While we can't confirm all the details about who was staying in this apartment, this kind of sounds like a bit of an apartment where people came and went. From what we gather, Megan had only been staying with the roommate for a couple of weeks. And keep in mind that she was in Midland for one entire week of that time frame. The apartment number was 1112 and was located on the 11th floor of the Gallery Tower Apartments at 50 Stephanie Street. The building is a 25-story high-rise that was built in the late 60s and is the typical concrete high-rise of that era. On Thursday, July 3rd, Megan worked. After work, Megan and some co-workers headed out to a bar for some drinks. The group of people Megan was out with included the roommate, whose couch she was staying on. At around 11.30pm, Megan called another co-worker on the phone. That co-worker states that Megan seemed happy and tipsy. He had seen her earlier that day and stated that it was just a normal work day. Here's Jennifer with her understanding of what happened that night. So from what I understand, um, it took me a long time to get reports from anybody. It took me a long time to get answers from anybody. So from what I understand, after work, she and some co-workers, so she had left her cousin's place and was staying with a co-worker, I guess because it was closer to work. Um, she and her co-worker had gone out for drinks after work that night from what i understand the video from the apartment building showed she and that co-worker going or coming in that night i guess it was later that night and i don't know what happened after that what i do know is that there were multiple 911 calls from surrounding neighbors about a woman in distress before the fall um So the neighbors have reported that they could hear a girl on a balcony saying, let me in, let me in, don't touch me, stop touching me. And other than that, I don't know what happened that night. 
we are now going to get into some of the details and witness accounts of what happened in the early morning hours of July 4th, 2014. This podcast does have a content warning. We do want to add that what we are about to describe contains imagery of a woman in distress that could trigger people with PTSD due to sexual violence, physical violence, or intimate partner violence. So please just take care of yourself if you choose to continue with this episode. So as Jennifer stated, CCTV footage from the lobby of the apartment building shows Megan and the roommate returning from the bar in the early morning hours of July 4th, 2014. We are unable to confirm what time this was. CCTV footage shows just the two of them together. There was no one else with them. It is the position of the Toronto Police Service that there was no one else in the apartment that night. Just Megan and the roommate. Evidence at the scene shows that Megan and the roommate continued to drink out of a bottle of liquor at the apartment after they returned from the bar. At 2.10 a.m. on the morning of July 4th, 2014, a witness was awakened to the sound of screaming. The witness heard a woman screaming on a balcony, stating, Don't. Don't. Leave me the fuck alone. Don't. Fuck all of you. I'm going away. Fuck you. Fuck you all. Don't. The witness described the screaming as blood-curdling. The screaming would stop and then start again. The witness, who had a view of the 11th floor balcony, states that the woman would turn to the sliding glass balcony door while screaming and then close the balcony door shut. The witness heard muffled voices from the inside of the sliding door but could not make out the words. They could not tell if there were multiple people inside the door. The witness continued to hear what they describe as crying from the woman. The witness then left their own apartment and went outside to get a closer look at what was happening. The witness was concerned for the safety of the woman. This witness tried to call up to the woman. Eventually, the witness returned to their apartment and called 911. At 2.28 a.m., a neighbor called 911 stating that a woman was on a balcony screaming and howling and causing a disturbance. The caller indicated that he thought it was a case of domestic violence. The 911 caller stated that he could see Megan on the balcony yelling into a closed patio door, but he could not make out a person behind that door. This 911 caller stated that he heard Megan yell, Don't, don't, don't. The 911 operator could hear a woman screaming in the background of the 911 call. This confirmed, in part, the 911 caller's observations. Six additional people reported hearing a woman screaming and, in their words, shrieking on the balcony. These witnesses either lived in the same building or across the street at the building that faces 50 Stephanie Street. An additional witness from across the street states that he heard what sounded like a woman yelling something like rape. He then heard a loud noise. Another witness also heard a woman yell, rape, twice, and then whimpering. The witness then heard the woman yell, rape, twice again, and then stop. This witness heard a voice call up to Megan from a lower floor asking if she was okay, to which Megan responded, no. Two other witnesses added that they also heard screaming coming from the balcony. Another man who lived seven floors below heard a woman screaming, no, don't. He states that he then heard a thump on the ground outside of the apartment building. 
At 2.32 a.m., Toronto Police Service arrived at 50 Stephanie Street and found Megan Hester on the ground in front of the building in medical distress. It appeared to them that she had fallen from a great height. They were correct in that assessment. Megan Hester had inexplicably plunged from an 11th floor balcony. The officers requested paramedics to attend, and Megan was transported to St. Michael's Hospital. The responding officers attempted to determine where Megan had fallen from. They asked the building superintendent to let them into the building. At 2.50 a.m., officers knocked on the door of apartment 1112. The officers knocked on the door, and no one responded. They continued to knock and announced themselves with no response from inside the apartment. Officers then asked the building superintendent for permission to gain entrance into the apartment. The officers entered the apartment and called out, and again, there was no response. The apartment appeared in disarray and music was playing from a computer in the living room. The officers located the roommate in his bedroom. The lights were on in his room and he was under the sheets on his bed. His feet were facing the headboard and his head to the foot of the bed. The roommate stated that he had been sleeping and that he had been asleep for about an hour. When asked if anyone else was in the apartment, he stated that there was a woman sleeping on his couch. The officers did not believe that the man was sleeping. As stated, witnesses from across the street, as well as on the fourth floor of the building, had heard Megan screaming. It is not plausible to sleep through Megan screaming on the balcony. Keep in mind, according to witnesses, Megan was also communicating to someone inside the apartment through the sliding door a sliding door that was being opened and slammed shut repeatedly. There had to have been someone on the other side of that door. The roommate did not appear surprised that police were inside his apartment. However, he did state that he had been drinking, and according to those attending the scene, he did appear very intoxicated. At 2.57 a.m., the roommate was placed under investigative detention. He was read his rights and told about his right to legal counsel. Upon further search of the apartment, the officers found a purse in the living room. Inside the purse was Megan's photo identification. Officers were able to confirm that it was indeed Megan Hester who had been found on the ground outside of the apartment building. Officers also observed broken items on the floor of the apartment. There was a deck of cards strewn on the floor, and there was also a table and chair overturned on the balcony. A blanket was half off the couch as if someone had been sleeping there. This is where Megan would have been sleeping. At 5.07 on the morning of July 4th, 2014, Megan Hester passed away while in care at St. Michael's Hospital. Megan Hester was just 20 years old. We are now going to take a quick break and check in with our sponsors. When we return, we will speak with Jennifer about the investigation into Megan's death. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. 
How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. And we are back. So before the break, we outlined the events surrounding the death of Megan Hester. Megan was the oldest of her siblings. She was free-spirited, artistic, and adventurous. She loved her family and had close friends who loved her. Megan set out on an adventure to live in Toronto at the age of 20, but just months later, she would tragically die. After a night drinking with some friends, Megan returned to an apartment in downtown Toronto that she was staying at. Around 2.30 a.m., multiple calls went out to 911 of a woman in distress on an 11th floor balcony. Moments later, Megan would plunge 11 stories or 120 feet to the ground. Megan would later tragically die from her injuries in hospital. So how did Megan fall from the 11th floor balcony? Was this an accident? Was she pushed? Or did Megan end her own life? Well, it seems for authorities that this is not an easy question to answer. The investigation into Megan's death started immediately. For responding officers, it wasn't adding up. Before we move forward, we need to reiterate that no one has been charged in connection to Megan's death and that all Canadians have the right to be presumed innocent until proven guilty according to the law. The roommate was placed under investigative detention at 2.57 a.m. at the scene. He was brought into 52 Division to answer questions about that evening. At this point, police were speaking to him as a witness and not a suspect. He was asked to make a video-recorded statement to police as a witness. He did. At 5.27 a.m., the roommate was released from investigative detention. In that statement made hours later, he still appeared very intoxicated. He stated that the evening was very unclear due to the intoxication. He stated that the last time he saw Megan, she was sleeping on the couch. The roommate was released shortly after the statement was made. He has been asked to speak with the police again to have a polygraph administered, but on the advice of a lawyer, he exercised his right not to participate in the investigation any further. He has not spoken to the police with regards to Megan's case since. Other witnesses were interviewed including neighbors, the people who called 911, and the roommate who was not home that night. Toronto Police Service also spoke to co-workers who stated that Megan was in good spirits that day and that Megan and the roommate were not dating. According to the medical report, Megan died as a result of the fall. The examination revealed that Megan had a high blood alcohol content, just about twice the legal limit to drive. 
the examination revealed that there were no other drugs or other intoxicants in her system. Jennifer was able to reveal a little more about the medical examiner report. Yes, there was bruising on her. Um, not from the fall, like um, imprinted with fingerprints on her. And she had very little clothing on. So Megan's death was the result of the fall. However, she had bruising on her consistent with fingerprints not related to the fall, and she had very little clothing on her. The medical examiner stated that there were no injuries related to sexual assault and no fluids related to sexual assault. However, we want to add that just because there was no forensic evidence of sexual assault does not mean that a sexual assault did not occur. On July 10th, 2014, Megan's family held a celebration of life in Midland, Ontario. And on this day of all days, something incredibly strange happened. While the funeral was happening, a woman scurried into the funeral home and dropped off Megan's belongings, and then quickly scurried back out. It was the day of her funeral, and the funeral director is one of my friends, and it she waited until after the funeral and after the reception and everything and called me and asked me to come in. And she, she said to me, she said, Jen, she said, this bag was returned with Megan's belongings in it. And I said, well, when? And she said, during the funeral, the girl came in, handed me the bag and ran out. They were able to video the girl um, because the funeral home had cameras police did look into it they identified the girl but they never did tell me who it was yes that's when I realized that things were not right that's like things were not right and so I contacted the police department and I said to them I said her belongings have been returned back to me I said her cell phone her passport like anything personal was given back to me her purse her money her debit cards I said, what am I to do with this? And then, so the police, uh, one of the detectives came up and grabbed it or got stuff from me. And apparently, like, the amount of time it took them to obtain records on her cell phone was ridiculous. It was over a year. Um, When I went through the cell phone myself, everything had been deleted from it and the SIM card was taken out. She was the selfie queen. There were no pictures on it. Nothing. There was nothing. No text messages. No nothing. I found it very odd because that's how we communicated. Most of the time was through text. She's 20 years old. So, and and I found it odd that there were no pictures because, like I said, she was the selfie queen. She had 8,000 selfies. So we need to clarify here that Megan's belongings were not secured by the police department. They were left in the apartment where she was last known to be. Her overnight bag and phone were dropped off during her funeral, and her phone had its SIM card removed as well as deleted text messages and photos. Why would this be? Why would someone drop off Megan's belongings while her mother was busy with her daughter's funeral? Why would someone need to remove the SIM card from her phone? What was in those text messages that she was sending that night that needed to be removed? Unfortunately, we don't have the answers to any of those questions. As Jen stated, the Toronto Police Service have identified and spoke to the woman who dropped off the bag, 
but no further information is available. We asked Jennifer if there was anything else she could tell us about the investigation. So what investigators told me and then what I found out after are two different things. Um, I knew something was up with the lead investigator. He didn't answer directly any questions I ever had. Um, It was kind of like they considered her a jumper and that was it. There was not a lot after that. What happened was they took the roommate in for questioning that night. They didn't deem him as a suspect. So that was the lead detective that did that. However, one of the other detectives in her statement stated, I found it quite odd. When we went to the apartment, the door was ajar and the roommate pretended to be sleeping. So this is what piqued me. That's when I started digging a little further and I filed a complaint against the Toronto Police Department to the investigation because I felt it was just done too quickly, done and over with. They wanted to just close it as she was a jumper and be done with it. So as you just heard, Jennifer did file a complaint with the Toronto Police Service with regards to how the investigation into Megan's death was handled. Jennifer shared with us that there was a ruling against the detective on the file, but that that decision was reversed due to a statute of limitations. Jennifer attended these hearings on her own against the detective and his lawyers. We asked Jennifer where Megan's case stands today. Closed. Cold. That's it. Unless something pops up that's like, bam, right in your face, it's closed. I do not. I didn't get, that was the thing. I didn't ever get regular updates when it was an open case. I'm the one who always had to contact them, ask them what was going on. Um, And I feel the reason was when I filed the complaint internally within the police department, the investigating officer was found guilty of insubordination. And I feel that's why I wasn't getting any answers because they were covering up for what he had not done properly. Yeah, he closed the crime scene, um, or sorry, he released the crime scene without authority. Um, For some reason, her cell phone and all her personal belongings ended up with somebody else that was at the crime scene and got returned to me before they even looked at them, including her cell phone and, and cell phone records. Um, he destroyed all hard evidence without authorization. So Megan's case is considered a suspicious death. It is also a cold case, meaning that no one is currently working on her file. Jennifer shared with us that the Toronto Police Service did try to file three charges against a man in relation to Megan's death. However, the Crown Prosecutor in Ontario was not willing at that time to move forward with those charges. Her death has not been ruled a homicide, it has not been ruled a suicide, and it has not been ruled an accident. Instead, it is understood to be a suspicious death. As a result of this file not being a homicide, Jennifer was not offered help through victim services for five years. The devastating impact of Megan's death, coupled with the lack of counseling service for her family, cannot be overstated. Jennifer and her family have been left alone to pick up the pieces with justice seeming like an unattainable concept. We asked Jennifer what justice will look like for her and for Megan. I just want somebody to be accountable for what happened that night. Um, 
Everybody says, oh, it will bring you closure. It doesn't bring you closure. I can't bring her back. But I want somebody to be responsible because I know she wasn't just a jumper. She, somebody did this to her. And I know who it is. I don't want to say the name because I don't have hard evidence. Um, that's it. I just want somebody to be responsible for this. I, I, honestly, I want somebody, I know somebody knows something. I know. And I just want someone to come forward. Because there can't be, she had a lot of, and I know he can't say silence. He's, from what I understand, he's just one of those people that likes to brag about stuff he's done. And he's had to tell somebody. I just, want him, I just want someone to be held responsible. One thing that we have noticed about this case is that it doesn't have a large digital footprint. There are no large Facebook groups calling for justice. There's no petitions or GoFundMes. It seems that this family has been left on their own. We asked Jennifer how our listeners can help. She knew people all over the place. Um, she, like, she had friends from BC to I don't even know where. I just, if they know anything, absolutely anything, I would just like to know. And even the smallest thing, if somebody thinks they know something small that they think it might be not even helpful, it could be helpful. I just, I don't want this to sit as a cold case for the next 40 years. And I just, I, I just want someone to be accountable. And, and that's why I did the internal investigation against the police department is that I want them to be held somewhat accountable for not bringing that guy in earlier so that he couldn't hurt other people. Mm. If anything good were to come of Meg's death, I feel that would be a part of it. Jennifer has stated emphatically in Toronto media that her daughter's death was not a suicide. Jennifer believes that the person on the other side of the sliding balcony door, the person inside of the apartment, has information that could help move the investigation forward. And perhaps there were other people in the apartment. Witnesses heard Megan talking with someone at 2.30 a.m. But then the apartment was empty and its only occupant was sleeping by 2.50 a.m. when the police entered. Maybe there is a simple explanation or even a complicated explanation that can show definitively that this is not a criminal case. But at this point, the only person who can answer this is the roommate. The roommate could submit to another formal interview with the police and his attorney present at any time. But that has not happened. From the outside, it appears that there were two people in the apartment, and one of them ended up dying. How is this explained? Our hope with this episode is that it can help to bring more awareness to Megan's death. Jennifer and her family have suffered immensely over the years. They are not a family with big, justice-based Facebook groups. They are humble and have lived through many injustices. They lost Megan, a young woman, at the start of her life. They endured a lackluster investigation. They were denied victim services. They had to file a complaint against the police service that has sworn to help them. And they have done all of this on their own. In the days following, Jennifer did as many media interviews as she could. 
but the phone has stopped ringing and the requests have gone dry. This should not be. If you feel moved by this episode and you are an organizer or an investigator or a sleuth or a concerned citizen, we ask that you get involved. This case is solvable and charges can still be laid. It is just a matter of when and if the Ontario Crown Prosecutor chooses to move forward. It is important to note here that there is one Facebook group dedicated to Megan. It is called In Loving Memory of Megan Hester. In this group, Megan's family and friends do not talk about how she died. They speak of how she lived and how she was loved and how much she is missed. Megan Hester's legacy will not be defined by how she died, but instead by how she positively impacted those around her. The tattoo on Megan and Jennifer's shoulders reads, Refuse to be forgotten, and that's what this episode is about. We would like to thank Jennifer for allowing us to tell Megan's story. We hope that this episode will help shed some light on this case and create some action. We know that Jordan at the Nighttime Podcast will also be covering this case this week with an interview with Jennifer, and we ask that you check out that episode and help spread the word about this case. Our producers on the podcast are Kathleen, Mandy, Alicia, L.A., Vicky, Barbara, Colleen, Blair, Melanie, Alberta, Carolyn, Kelly, Jimmy, Shandy, Jessa, Lisa Marie, Thomas, Maureen, Lorena, Colleen, Susan, Kennedy, and Alex and Andrea. We'll see everyone soon for a new episode. So until then, stay safe, everyone. Stay safe. Spring, is that you? Warmer temps mean new Albert styles. Meet the new Superlight Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. These must-have travel shoes have a lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit that made them the most packable shoes ever. Plus, they're comfy right out of the box. That means more comfort and less baggage. Experience how Allbirds is redefining comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code SUPER24.